This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Saturday Squeeze is your shortcut to being informed weekend style. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, Com Games, Heat Waves and Big Defence Exercises today. Yep, that's Talisman Sabre that you're referring to. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, listen on. Listen on, short intro, long episode. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's get straight into the news this week, Claire. Biggest story was Daniel Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, canning the Commonwealth Games. This one's a bit like where to begin. Yeah, there's a lot to it and you and I discussed it at length this week. Let's set it up first. So on Tuesday... Daniel Andrews called a press conference and called off the event in its entirety. He said the cost of the event from its initial estimate of $2.6 billion had blown out to $6 to $7 billion. $6 or $7 billion. He was unapologetic about it. He said he can't justify spending that much on a 12-day sporting event. The reaction from many was immediate, yep. quite fierce. Craig Phillips, the CEO of the Com Games, was uh, fair to say scathing, I think, Claire. He disputed a lot of what Daniel Andrews had to say, and that's sort of the nub of this story. Yeah, and actually stepping through his statement is a really good framework, I think, for us to work with. Mm. Uh, so let's do that. The first thing that Phillips disputed was that Victoria had stepped in to save the Games. That's really been part of the narrative of the Victorian government, that mm. it was a Games that didn't have a home, but they stepped in and it was going to happen because they were stepping up to do it. Yeah, so um, what Craig Phillips and the Com Games says is they have a different view. They said Visit Victoria, which is the agency in charge of these events, every mm. state has one, um, had been very keen to host. Claire, they also had a very big problem with that six or seven billion dollar number, that projected budget. Andrew said that would be the cost. The Com Games says, and this was their wording, that's a gross exaggeration and not reflective of the operational costs presented to the Victorian 2026 Organising Committee board as recently as June. So, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And when you pull up the comparison with that estimate that Andrews gave to the real cost of what the Birmingham Games cost, mm. uh, which were just last year, $1.8 billion. Uh, the Gold Coast Games in 2018, that was $1.2 billion. And if you're wondering why it's going to be that much more expensive, mm. uh, even at $2.6 billion. Yeah. Um, the Victorian government had decided that it wanted to host events all over Victoria, not just in Melbourne, and that was to be part of a plan to invest in regional Victoria. Yeah, that was the government's plan from the outset. At the time that was announced, which was April last year, Lots of people in sport had reservations about whether they could actually pull that off within budget. Yeah. Um, having an event that traverses a state um, is obviously a lot more expensive than using existing infrastructure within Melbourne. This is the big rub for many uh, in this debate is that Daniel Andrews really didn't consider another option, so whether he could host it in Melbourne. He says he did, that he looked at every conceivable option. He said all of them are in far in excess of $2.6 So he looked at reducing the event to bring it just to Melbourne. The Com Games Committee, as I said, said that wasn't the case. Yeah, and also back to the Com Games people and what they said about 
the announcement mm. uh, and it starts to get a bit messy here, um, they say that Andrews willfully ignored recommendations uh, to move events to these purpose-built stadia in Melbourne. I say stadia because I'm wondering I feel about that. very fancy. <laughs> it is the plural for stadium. Uh, <laughs> so let that sink in on your Saturday morning. Um, She's been excited to say that all morning, I can tell. Uh, yeah, just planted that little seed. Um, yeah, that Andrews wanted to have these events right across Victoria. I mean, the thing here is that the accounts couldn't be further apart. So what the Com Games are saying and what Daniel Andrews is saying and his government is saying is so far apart. Mm. How's a voter supposed to know what to think? Well, it's really difficult yeah. because they are so diametrically opposed. Yeah. It's very rare, I think, to have these very clear on the record accounts yeah. that are so far apart. And of course, standing in the middle will be the lawyers. Exactly. That's where Daniel Andrews says it is now. He said he's got lawyers in London dealing with the fallout of this because that's where the Com Games is is headquartered. Yeah. Um, what it's actually going to cost the Victorian people to cancel it, what they've already spent, all those questions we don't know the answers to yet. Yeah, because there's a contract that was signed and, mm. of course, now an organisation that has been let down and an organisation that has incurred costs as well. So there's still a big discussion about where that's all going to shake out because it will cost. Victorian taxpayers something. And then the discussion splinters a little bit, I guess. It mm. splinters into what we should be paying for these sporting events, whether they're viable, yeah. uh, whether they are a good investment, whether the benefits of them are worth the investment that you have to make up front. Yeah. That's sort of one part of the conversation. And I guess it's not just about sporting events, it's about events generally. So, Squizzes, this is the part where Kate gets to talk about legacy issues. <laughs> She's, I've been dying to talk about Stadia. She's no. dying to talk about legacy. So. Well, what I discovered was <laughs> legacy is a buzzword in all of these yeah. um, big event conversations because there's a huge project that goes into them. Um, in and it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, is no, it? It's, no, it's, it's an actual a, structure. It's actual structure around yeah. what are the benefits to a nation, to a city, to a state, wherever it might yeah. be, of hosting something like this. What are the legacy benefits? And they can range from, um, like, for example, with the Women's World Cup, investment in women's sport and what that means for women and what yeah. that means for gender diversity across sport. Um, but then there's also like the more economic benefits, I guess, mm. like building infrastructure and using mm. that ongoing roads, yep. transport, all of those things go into what is the legacy of an event and then that's valued, that's yep. given a number um, and that's weighed up against the cost of actually doing it. Yeah, so in this case what Andrew said is that at that $2.6 billion level it was an investment worth making because at the end of the day they would be left with infrastructure that was worthwhile to mm. the community, particularly housing projects in regional centres. They were going to have to house these athletes so mm. they were going to build the facilities and then the community could use that for social housing going forward. Uh, but he said at six to seven billion dollars it didn't stack up. He couldn't justify that. He has made announcements to say that he still will build those houses but the debate rages on and I guess this is the second part of it around the management of this in general. Mm. It gets very political at this point. Yeah. It gets into the nuts and bolts also of public administration but the political element is very real. Uh, 
there's probably few states as politicised about these sorts of things as Victoria. Mm. Um, of course, Victoria and its relationship to the government and Daniel Andrews particularly was something in a lot of focus during the pandemic because of the harsh lockdowns. Uh, we've had an election since then and here we are. Here we are. And the context to that, for those who may not know, I think people in Victoria will be well aware, but the announcement to host the Games and to host it in this way where it was going to the regions was made before the election. Yeah. Um, the canning of it has obviously happened post-election. So if you read any political commentary, that will be an element in all of that. Claire, can I, um, I mean, given this is such a big topic, I've got some rapid fire questions for you before okay. we finish. <laughs> I think a few things I've been wondering Let's about. Let's do it. Um, will the Commonwealth Games happen now? Yes. In Claire's opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> and it seems there are, I mean, Birmingham. Just to be clear, I don't have a seat on the Commonwealth Games board <laughs> or anything like that. It does sound like, like you that. do. <laughs> no, I just don't see how, given we've got a new king, given we've yeah. got a lot of focus about the Commonwealth being a force for good, how they let it go because it is such a showcase event. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I guess there have already been um, parts of the world that have put their hand up to say, oh, we're kind of interested. Yeah. The Gold Coast mayor there, Tom Tate, has said, hey, we could probably do it. Yeah. Um, the mayor of Christchurch has said a similar thing. Yeah. Um, I saw that Scotland was weighing up their options oh, right, yeah. around okay. this. Um, Birmingham, though, definitely 100% does not want to do it. Definitely again. not. <laughs> They've hosted that party quite recently. They're not going around for a second They're term. not going again. Um, my second question, and I guess um, this is just the athletes. There's 5,000 athletes that would have been involved in these games yeah. um, and a lot of us, obviously, Aussie athletes really looking forward to it and in, in prep mode for it. Yeah, a really big deal for a lot of sporting organisations. For a lot of them, the Commonwealth Games are the pinnacle yeah, of the, their cycle. that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, that's what they're going for. Netball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and plenty of others. So it's a really big deal to take that out of the cycle if that happens. Mm. But it's also, if it does go ahead, a big deal for athletes in Australia who really wanted a home event. They're really training already mm. and have been for years for their home event. Finally, you mentioned the King. Yes. This is the Royals games. Have they had anything to say? No. Not and yet. look, if I was advising them, I would not touch it. <laughs> Stay, right, Stay out. right out of it. Well, let, let the administrators sort that out. Let's see. I mean, you're not the advisor to the king, but <laughs> no. you'd do a very good job of it if you were, I think. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> let's move on. Claire, on the other side of the world, now, you started this week talking about high temperatures coming from the Northern Hemisphere on the Squiz Today podcast. Nations north of the equator continue to be belted with like big temperatures this week. Oh, yeah. And some of the numbers that have come through since we talked about it on Monday are extraordinary. Um, California's Death Valley reached near world record high temperature of 53.3 degrees Celsius. That What's was that on in Fahrenheit, Sunday. Claire? Oh, that's like <laughs> 130 something. It's, well done. Yeah, it's, okay. a, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, China, all-time high temperature mm. highs. Um, there was an airport in coastal Iran that had a heat index reading, which is the you know, feels like temperature. Feels, yeah, the when apparent. You blend, or, yeah, yeah, you blend humidity with temperature. 66 degrees. Yeah, wow. Um, that temperature is very difficult for humans to survive. Yeah, of course. And lots of talk about why. 
um, yeah. th- why this is the case, you're going to get a little technical for us. <laughs> I love it when you get your Tim oh Bailey hat gosh. on. I <laughs> know, uh, my Tim Bailey hat on. <laughs> wow. Um, the technical explanation is that there are high-pressure weather systems present. Um, it's been influenced by large-scale climate drivers like El Nino, <laughs> which is a whole thing. That is nothing new. The added element is what the experts say is that this climate crisis is making things even more extreme Mm. and more frequent and longer lasting. You mentioned El Nino there. Is that the girl or the boy? It's the boy boy. one. It's the boy one, yeah. The bomb said this week they're not declaring an El Nino event and that was quite a thing. Yeah, not for Australia and it's notable because the World Meteorological Organisation last week declared an El Nino event, um, that the conditions were present. It's developed in the tropical Pacific. It's the first time in seven years, so that's quite notable. <laughs> I know this is a podcast, but you should see Claire's arms going with all of the <laughs> demonstrations. Of, you need like a it's like, very animated. You need like a pointer and uh, like a whiteboard or something. I did, I did not have the coordination to deal with that. <laughs> um, the bomb, though, has a different criteria to the other agencies. Okay. For us. The bomb says you need sea surface temperatures in the central and eastern Pacific that have to be a certain temperature and there also needs to be indicators in the atmosphere and they say we haven't met that condition yet. So no El Nino has been declared as yet. Yep. We're on El Nino alert, though, yes. I'm told. I'm reliably informed alert. by you. Yep. Um, that's all like, very interesting. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I probably no need the context around why this actually matters. Yeah, so why it matters is preparedness. Mm-hmm. So, for example, our forecasters in the emergency services work really closely together. There are models that they plug their data into and they predict what resources are needed. So, for example, should we be doing more burning off Yeah, okay. That in makes those sense. areas yeah. in the wintertime when it's safe to do so? Um, El Nino and that declaration is influential on that. Um, also what it means for agriculture. So if you're a farmer, now's the time that you're starting to think about where you're investing. Mm. Are you going to put lots and lots of dollars into seeds to crop? Are you going to buy livestock? You need to know what your chances are for a good outcome. Yeah, so they're watching this very closely, of Mm. course. It also has an impact on insurance, Mm. uh, which is something I kind of didn't think about. But there's been lots of discussion about um, people living in flood zones and Mm. um, insurance for flooding, but this will shift the conversation to whether you can get insurance for fires, if El Nino is going to be a thing that happens. Yeah, both of those risks are of course, huge. But Mm. when there's an El Nino event, of course, a lot of focus on those people who live on those fire zones. Mm. So yeah, it's just something we shouldn't be cheering El Nino on for because Mm. we would just like a nice average summer. An average summer, average weather pattern, just standard old boring summer would be lovely. Haven't seen it for years. Fingers crossed. On to what's coming up. Coming up this week, Claire, we said we talk about a couple of defensey type things, including defence exercises. But before we do that, we have a couple of significant American office holders coming to Brisbane, the United States Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Yeah, they're here for the Osmin Talks. That's the annual dialogue uh, with those Americans and their Australian counterparts. That's Defence Minister Rich Miles, also the Foreign Minister Penny Wong. Uh, 
I looked up in the Squiz archive. Mm-hmm. Um, the last headline from the meeting, which was in December last year, it was in Washington, um, there was an agreement for the US to increase its air, land and sea forces in Australia. And that was to help maintain a free and open Indo-Pacific region. That's code for being closer to pushback on China if required. I yeah. remember all of this happening. Yeah, exactly. So Osmin's the forum for that discussion where, where those things happen. Yeah. The second thing is after that meeting, Miles and Secretary Austin will travel to North Queensland yep. where exercise Talisman Sabre 2023 is unfolding. Yeah, it's huge. It's Huge. absolutely massive. There are 30,000 troops from 13 countries. They're in tent cities at the moment in Queensland. Um, they're coming together as allies to take part in these exercises. They're essentially war games. They're on for a few weeks starting yesterday. They happen every two years. They're led by the US and Australia. The purpose is to enhance interoperability. Yes. Claire, that's a fancy way of saying how they work together, including identifying how tech systems work, comms, logistics, all that stuff. Look at us with our technical terms today. Um, China's very interested in all of this for obvious reasons. Uh, In the past, they've sent surveillance ships and they actually sit off the coast outside of our territorial Mm. waters, but still close enough to keep an eye on things. They're expected to do the same thing this year. I liked the quote from a brigadier in charge who said they're not invited, but they keep turning up. (laughs) (laughs) We've all got that friend. Or kind of friend. Other things coming up this week, Claire, the F1 Grand Prix in Hungary. I'm told this is a really big deal <laughs> because Daniel Ricciardo has his first race in a long time. Look again, drive to survive. You've know, got I've to get ne- into I it. I, it's, it's really surprising. It is kind of my thing. I don't know why I'm I not into it. I don't know why either. I know. I'm, I just love it and, of course, got to know Daniel Ricciardo quite well, the Perth boy. Mm. He's back on the track. Um, it's school night though, of course, 11pm on Sunday that that race is on, so you've got to be really hardcore to want to go through the, that. What's um, the whole thing with his driving for a different team and blah, blah, blah? Oh, look. When Drive to Survive starts, yeah. he's in Red Bull. Mm-hmm. He was actually seen as a bigger star than Max Verstappen, who, of course, now is the world yeah. champion. Um, but he jumped out to a new team. He went to Renault first and then he went to McLaren. It didn't work out at McLaren. So he went back to the bench with Red Bull and now he's driving for their second team. Oh, interesting. Okay, right. All right. I'm I'm, I'm kind of there with you. Oh, it's yeah. a big deal. Got it. <laughs> um, Anthony Albanese is off to New Zealand on Wednesday, so that'll be a thing. Yep. Um, it's his first visit since becoming Prime Minister. It's been everywhere, but not New Zealand. Yeah, not New Zealand yet. So he's going over there. He and Chris Hipkins, who's New Zealand's Prime Minister, are marking 80 years of diplomatic relations, 50 years of the Trans-Tasman Travel Arrangement and 40 years of our free trade agreement. I don't know what sort of cake you buy for that occasion. I think you'd need to get one custom made. You can't just go to Woolies and it's just a lot of candles. buy That's the chocolate mud cake. Yeah, exactly. You need to get something specially made. Um, when it comes to Wednesday, we're going to get the latest on inflation. These are the big quarterly oh. figures. So that takes the period April to June. Lots of eyes on that, of course. Yeah, a cute discussion about the next Reserve Bank meeting. That's coming up, of course, Tuesday. First Tuesday of every month, that's right. Um, More sport as well, the Matildas, of course. We haven't even talked about the Matildas, but um, we will have a chance to talk about them a lot over the coming weeks. They won their game against Ireland, of course, that we all sat down and watched 1-0. second group match against Nigeria is on Thursday. 
The men's Ashes fifth test starts then too. It could be a really big deal depending yeah. on whether we win or lose this current test match. Yes. If we lose, it'll be two all and the fifth test will be a really big deal. And we were talking before, you're kind of cheering for the Aussies to lose. No, the I'm not test. cheering for the Aussies to so lose. So then it's two all <laughs> and then it comes down to the wire and the excitement is high. The excitement. It would be very exciting. <laughs> but I would never cheer for the Aussies to lose. <laughs> Kate, to close, it's so much sport at the moment. But yeah. to close off. I guess next week it's the start of the Netball World Cup. Netball World Cup's on in South Africa. Day one, we take on Zimbabwe. We are obviously a really good chance at taking the World Cup out, but it'll be tough. Jamaica are really, really strong. Yeah. England are really strong. New Zealand are really strong. It'll be very, very close. Yes. Very exciting. It's one to watch as well. Let's get into Squiz Recommends. From me, Claire, 7.30 this week, Sarah Ferguson interviewed Commonwealth Games Federation Vice President Karen Smith. Worth a look in the context of the debate about the cancelling of the Com Games, a really poised but pointed interview about Daniel Andrews' decision this week. Yeah. So um, we'll pop a link to that in your episode notes. I think we liked it because it had enough emotion but a lot of facts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, An interview that's, you know, you just think interviews are just shouting it people but Mm. it was a really interesting way I think to get across the facts as far as the Com Games organisations are concerned anyway. It was a good one. Um, For me, God, we've had a lot of heavy Mm. content today. Um, I think something light and breezy, Stanley Tucci, he's the famous actor. Um, He has a travel and a food show and it's called Searching for Italy. Lara put us on to this. I watched a couple of episodes this week. It's just delightful. Yeah, Lara said it was great. If you don't know Stanley Tucci is um I I'm really bad with famous yes. people and faces and and that kind of thing but he <laughs> is from the Devil Wears Prada is yes. how I know him yeah sure uh, he's the one that doesn't get the editor's job you'll know him if you see him but yeah you'll definitely know him yeah. if you see him he's known for I know he's known for many other yeah. things other than that but if you're wondering he's that's... married to Emily Blunt's sister he is yeah. yeah he was quite a hit over the pandemic because he had a little social media videos all the time making cocktails and saying lovely things about the world <laughs> oh really really positive stuff it's on SBS and it's free so that's always good. Yeah. As I said, all the links to our recommendations are in your episode notes. And of course, if you're not signed up to the Saturday Squeeze email, heaps more recommendations in there, including recipes yeah, as well. Give that a go. Squeeze Press, Claire, we talked about our membership of the DPA, the Digital Publishers Alliance, before. Um, we're pulling together a survey to show advertisers and other stakeholders like the government that audiences value independent publishers like us, like the Squiz and many others. We're hoping people might take the survey. We would like you to do a survey. And look, I'm going to set this up for you. It's going to take about five minutes to do, mm. but it's really interesting. It's not our survey. It's the DPA survey. And it does go quite deep into what media you like why you value independent publishers like us. Mm. Um, Look, we really like to make our presence felt and this is why we've banded together with the DPA so that we can join other like companies so that we do have a voice when it comes to talking to government. But, Kate, also in your commercial work to make it clear to the media agencies that we're worthwhile advertising with. Yeah, exactly. So if you've got a little bit of time, five minutes, as you said, um, there's a link in your episode notes to do that survey. We'd really appreciate it. It'll also be in the Squiz Today newsletter next week. So you can pick it up there as well. Have a great weekend and we'll be back next week.